This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Mark Wayne Mullen, I would welcome you back to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast, but I'm not very happy with you, sir, because I've told you this over and over that I get to wear the official uniform of Undaunted Life, a man's podcast, which is a black V-neck. You don't get to do that. You get to wear suits and go to Capitol Hill and scream at people. What's going on? Why are you crowding my territory? Man, I, I just wanted to make you make show you what a V neck could possibly look like on a on a real figure. You know, I, okay. I, I I wanted I wanted to pull it off. I actually this is a Foot Locker black V neck. That V neck. That's how old this is. I've had it for a long time. What's Foot Locker? That's is my that, point. Is that a thing? Did you that, did you go there after you went to Hastings and you know rented <laughs> a couple of VHSs and then went to Blockbuster to return your video games? Is that what happened? <laughs> Yeah, I went to Blockbuster first. Blockbuster to have my video, so I went to Hastings. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hate to admit this out loud, and here I am admitting it to my entire audience. You look damn good in that V-neck, Mark Wayne Mullen. Maybe you could start wearing that on the hill. I know y'all actually do have a a clothing standard that has now been reinstated, but you know the yeah. V-neck can be pulled off with a suit jacket. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm just you know just sporting. I'm you know, I'm wearing this, and I'm thinking of you, Kyle. That's what I'm doing. I. I I woke up this morning and I thought, you know what? I want to feel closer to my buddy. Yeah. And I put on a V-neck and, and then I combed my beard. I almost dyed it uh, to just get a little bit more red color to it. But I thought maybe a little much. Here's the thing. Everyone hates you already because you're a Republican. If you were a redheaded Republican, you wouldn't be able to go out in public. So uh, that's just something that we have to keep in mind. But to dig in today, there's really no no good way of transitioning to this story. But obviously, yeah. the dominant news story right now and really for the entire year is going to be what the Hamas terrorists did in Israel. Yeah. As of the recording of this we're recording, this on Tuesday, October the 17th, death count is 1,300 plus Mostly Israelis, mostly Israelis, mostly Jews, uh, 27 Americans. There's, you know, somewhere around a right, dozen. Actually, that number changed. There's 30, 30 okay. Americans. 30 yeah, Americans. Okay, so 30 Americans killed. Last I saw was 14 Americans are still in Hamas custody. Uh, their whereabouts are at least not known to the public, but I'm assuming Delta and DevGuru have a good idea where they are, but we don't know uh, the current status of them in terms of uh, how they're being treated or if they're even still alive. So uh, before we dig into the policy implications and the things that could come from such a story of the American response, just give us your generic thoughts on what went down here about a week and a half ago in Israel. Well, I think it shocked all of us, right? Uh, but it's not surprising because uh, when you when you have, and I, I'm going to turn this into politics, but there, I'm going to build to why that's the case. When you have a, a, a weak president that is more about appeasement than peace through strength, his policy is uh, is appeasement through through um, uh, through policy. And, and it doesn't work in the Middle East. The Middle East has been at war for biblical times. And so when we start talking about what's going to happen there, you, they only respect one thing is strength. So you see Iran who is using Hamas as, a, as basically just a ploy. Um, and what I, I mean by that is they, they and I, I don't mean to sound crude here, so please, no one take this out of context. I'm just looking at this as, as from the world's view uh, with Iran and the, it, the implementations of what's going on in the Middle East. 
Iran was simply using Hamas as an opportunity to kill Jews at the same time taste, test the American resolve. Exactly. Um, when we when we pulled out of Afghanistan and was willing to leave Americans behind, uh, which you know where I stand on that, uh, and then be able to leave our partners and allies behind and literally turn over um, Afghanistan to our enemy, known terrorist group, the Taliban, and, and work with them, by the way, on our withdrawal to allow them to take over the government of, of, of Afghanistan and take over HKIA, which is an international airport uh, that we basically built, uh, and give them all of our bases on the way out, and by the way, leave them billions of dollars worth of, worth of military goods, um, that people started questioning what our resolve is. And then you take in China, is that's doing our belt and or doing the belt and road initiative, which is trying to undercut United States every step of the way. You got to realize that there's there's an alliance between um, uh, between China, North Korea, Iran, and and Russia, and you have you have China that's backing it. Uh, that is that is that is doing the political influence around the world, um, providing the infrastructure for this for this alliance. You have North Korea that's providing the weapons, uh, allowing it to be uh, shipped through the black market. You have Iran that is supporting Hamas, uh, Hezbollah, and other terrorist organizations around the world, plus providing weapons to Russia outside of, uh, even though they're being sanctioned. And uh, you have obviously um, uh, Russia going into Ukraine, which we're obligated to protect. And what I mean by that, to, to understand that a little bit more, uh, according to, uh, according to the Bud Budapest Memorandum that we signed in 1994, we said that if if Ukraine were to give up their nuclear weapons, mm. we would be there in the case that they were invaded specifically by Russia. Now that was in 1994. I don't think any of us would think that Putin would be going into Ukraine if Ukraine was still a a, a nuclear power. But since they gave it up, we agreed that we'd protect them. Uh, are, we've been wavering on that resolve. Uh, and, and then we've been wavering our re, on our resolve to Taiwan. You've been hearing Blinken uh, bowing down to China. You've been hearing the administration not sending out strong warnings to China. And I believe collectively they thought, okay, let's hit them where it hurts. Uh, let's use Hamas as a ploy. I mean, let them go be jihad and, and get killed and, and go find their 77 virgins, which my wife brought up a good point. Where's all these virgins coming from? Um, and, and, and said, what, and then let's go see what the resolve is with Israel. What happened though, is Hamas took it too far. And uh, because if you go back to 2014, when similar, not the same scale, obviously not even close to the same scale, but when Hamas really attacked Israel and Israel entered into Gaza um, with a ground force, it was only about three days after they entered in that the media and the United States started telling them to back off, hold up, your, the collateral damage is too much. And I believe they thought that would happen here and it would show that the United States wasn't willing to stand with literally their, their strongest and best ally, especially in the Middle East. Um, but Hamas took it too far by the murdering 
and in raping of children and women and beheading of babies and elderlies and kidnapping individuals. Uh, and, and really it didn't, there wasn't any option, but for this administration to come out as strong as they did. And I'm glad they did, mm. but politically speaking, and the geopolitics behind it, that's what really this is more about. It, it, Hamas was used to test America's resolve at the same time going after their sworn enemy, Israel, and those that live there. Yeah, and I think that's a great point that you made there at the end. Like, credit where credit is due. Uh, the Biden administration has said the right words in the wake of this attack, but you're absolutely right as well that they're the ones that set the temperature of the area and, right. you know, people can go back to what happened when Donald Trump was in office. It's like, we, we didn't see things like this because he's like, okay, if y'all make me mad, I'm going to drop the mother of all bombs on you. And ju just, just so, because I can, and just because I want to show you this and our strikes against the generals of Iran, go ahead. And put into context of what you just talked about for your audience that may not understand that that was actual factual thing. Moab, mm -hmm. mother of all bombs made in McAllister, Oklahoma, by the way. Yep. Um, what happened was, uh, there was a the 19th group was it was in Afghanistan. Uh, they were uh, ambushed by the Taliban. They killed a captain, um, and uh, the irony of that was um, the captain that had just got traded out uh, for medical reasons was actually at my house when it happened because he's 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 closer to me than a brother. I spent a lot of time with him, um, obviously in that region, uh, and uh, and and and. Trump's response to that was, okay, I'm going to drop the largest bomb because this is the first time that this has happened since when he, since he had been in office. I'm going to drop the largest bomb since World War II on your head, even though it wasn't even designed, it wasn't even designed for that type of warfare. Um, I'm still just going to show you and show the world that I mean business and boom, he dropped it. And let me tell you, it sh shook shockwaves um, around the Middle East saying we got a new sheriff in town. And then on top of that, Syria crossed Obama's red line mm -hmm. by using chemical on their own weapon. Mind you, at that time, Russia controlled the airspace over Syria. We literally would have to tell under Obama, we would literally have to tell Syria, hey, or not Syria, Russia, hey, we're going to fly in at this time. Don't shoot us down. And we're going to drop people off at this area. This is our LZ. So you know exactly where our guys are. Um, and uh, and, uh, and when, that, when that happened, what, what, um, when, they, when Syria actually used chemical weapons underneath Trump's watch, Trump said, hey, in 30 minutes, I'm coming in. I'm going to bomb the airfield to which that took off from. And uh, you can clear out. Oh, and by the way, we're taking back the airspace. Um, stop me if you can. And he went in there and destroyed the air, the airfield, uh, destroyed the infrastructure. And we controlled the airspace the entire time Trump was in office. And when Obama came in, uh, or not Obama, Biden came in, we reversed those policies and now Russia controls it. Yeah, and shock of all shocks, whenever you don't show strength to your enemies, they, they take yeah. you for a fool and they take you as, as a weakling. And so they see us as both right now. And so, again, the Biden administration, they're they're saying the, the right words for the most part and parroting some of the right things. They've moved our aircraft carriers closer to the area, basically as a show of force and support for Israel. 
But now we have to get to the, the main question because, yes, like policy wonks, they want to talk about, OK, what type of funding can we give and are we going to be able to have enough money to support Ukraine and send more uh, Iron Dome protection and different things to people in Israel? And the answer essentially is yes. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think what most Americans are concerned about is, OK, if the dominoes start to fall, Mark Wayne, so you have uh, Hamas attacking from the south, if Hezbollah ta- attacks from the north, Israel can fight on those two fronts. However, but if Syria attacks from the northeast, that's another front. And now you have Russian proxy states and Iranian proxy states all in this war, which potentially brings Iran and Russia into direct conflict here with our ally. And then that means uh, that means we're at war again. So now we're talking World War Three because China, North Korea, as you talked about earlier, they're not going to sit by and wait for the dust to settle in the Middle East. So I think most people are concerned about American boots on the ground in Israel to help not just push back Hamas, but Hezbollah and the Muslim Brotherhood and and who the, who the heck knows, Nigeria and Boko Haram could get in this thing. Uh, it could be a real big mess. Where do you see this going? Well, let's... Let's back into the funding on this thing first. Uh, There's a difference between Ukraine and Israel. Uh, First of all, uh, Ukraine was a state that was very was struggling to support themselves to begin with. Really, they technically weren't fully able to support themselves, Um, and and so they they are a a nation that their economy is wrecked right now. Um, You have Israel. Israel. We had a, a memorandum of understanding that was put in place by Bush 43 that had $9 billion of emergency funding set aside in the case. Now, $9 billion in war doesn't go very far, but it's set aside to immediately do a plus up in the case of a situation just like this that you just described. But it also gives Israel full access, I say full access, about 95% access to our military weaponry. There's some that's that they're not able to access just because of the sensitivity to it. Um, but they also have a nation that their coffers are full and they can buy that immediately for us. And instead of us having to build it, they can literally buy it out of our inventory. Uh, whereas Ukraine, they're not allowed to take it out of our inventory. We have to build it before we ship it or it has to be depleted munition that is expiring. That's there's a huge difference. Um, when you start looking at the volatility that you just described, Kyle, you are 100% accurate. Um, this could get out of hand very fast. The interesting thing is, is what happens in the event that Iran um, and Syria and then Russia gets pulled in. China at that point would probably take an advantage when we're right, when we're literally fighting two fronts. Russia couldn't come in and fight in the Middle East. They would be focusing more in Ukraine, using that as an opportunity for a full-pledged and full all-out all uh, fight, uh, knowing that we would have to focus a lot more into the Middle East. So what would end up happening is our, our partners in, in Europe uh, would have to take that fight on, essentially, uh, and and it, you could be seeing the real reminiscent of what World War II looked like. Uh, we would be focusing more in the Middle East and the Pacific, uh, which is where we would have to put some of our attention to. Uh, I, I would think that it, just because Iran is not well liked in the area, because they understand uh, from UAE to the Jordanians to Saudi Arabia uh, to even uh, Qatar, uh, they all know that 
Iran is the bad actor, but not one of them was willing to fight them alone. However, if Iran were to go all out and the United States was there, I believe you would see UAE for sure. UAE, remember, they're the only Muslim nation that fought with us side by side in the war on terror. They were in Afghanistan. They lost people in Afghanistan. They fought there the entire time with us. Um, even the president, MBZ's uh, four sons fought over in Afghanistan. One was wounded twice. So they weren't just sitting there observing, they were in the fight. Uh, you would see Saudi Arabia, who would have um, uh, a real questionable uh, um, decision to make. And I believe they, their decision would be to come fight with the United States at this point. And because if we're all in, we're in the fight, we have a reputation of winning the fight. China would be trying to do influence economically speaking, but they wouldn't. Uh, and I know I'm getting deep in the woods here, but Jordan, uh, King uh, Abdullah, HMK, uh, he will undoubtedly would be beside us. He would be fighting with us, not necessarily fighting with Israel, even though they do have an alliance some degree, but he's he's a peace holder. He, he kind of holds the pieces together in the Middle East from this happening. But if it happened, uh, he would be on our side without question. Remember, we every, about every piece of military weaponry that, uh, that the Jordanians have come from the United States. Hey guys, real quick, I've talked about this on the show before, but I've been experimenting with the idea of getting on the carnivore diet. And so I've got a good buddy, Chad Robichaud, who's been on the podcast that he's been on the carnivore diet for a while. He's seen a lot of great success. But the big thing that I've been worrying about is like, where do I get high quality beef? Like where exactly can I get beef where I can trust that's coming from a reputable source that it doesn't have a bunch of junk that's been in it. And I've been looking for a cattle operation partner to really partner up with. And that's why I want to introduce you to the new official beef delivery partner of Undaunted Life, and that's my friends at Primal Beef. So Primal Beef is a brand new cattle operation owned and operated by Sean Glass. So he is a retired Navy SEAL that served with Jocko Willing, and Jocko is also a partner in Primal Beef. So what makes Primal Beef different from the other fly-by-night beef delivery companies? It's a combination of the following. So it's all American black Angus cattle. The beef comes from one farm, and that's in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley. Also, the beef is all natural. There are no, no hormones added ever, no antibiotics ever, no mRNA ever. And here's a cool thing. After slaughter, the beef is dry-aged, and then it's hand-cut by artisan butchers and then flash-frozen to ensure that it maintains the tenderness and marbling and flavor that you'll want by the time it gets to you. And here's another cool thing. For every box sold, guys, Primal Beef donates meat directly to a member of America's Special Operations Forces through the C4 Foundation. So you can take pride in knowing that your purchase will help literally put food on the table for one of America's finest warriors. So are you salivating yet? Because if not, you should be, guys. Try Primal Beef out today by going to www.primalbeef.com. That will be in the show notes. That's primalbeef.com. Use the promo code Kyle. That's my first name, K-Y-L-E, Kyle, for 10% off of your order. Again, that is primalbeef.com. Use the code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, to get 10% off of your order. Okay, so I appreciate a little bit of a deeper dive on all that. I think another thing that comes up, Mark Wayne, and again, I don't know the exact numbers. I just know it's kind of like, yes, no, these things happen. 
We send billions of dollars in foreign financial aid to countries all over the world, but also to countries in this area. It's my understanding that the U.S. gives money to the Palestinians, to the Lebanese, um, to the Egyptians. Like we, we give this foreign aid. And as we've seen a lot of videos of now being posted by Hamas, mind you, you know, the U.S. and other countries like it will pay for things like new pipes to send to Palestine for them to fix their sewage problem. And they will use those pipes to build missiles and rockets. They will dig up their own water pipes, their own infrastructure to build more missiles and rockets. And to a simple minded Okie like me, I'm like, well, if the spigot is turning from water to blood, how about we just turn the spigot off and say, hey, look, you have to stand on your own two feet right now. You are responsible for caring for your own people like Hamas, which is the rightful government of this you know, area of Palestine. It's like, look, you're using the money to fund terrorism and to support, you know, you're basically your Hamas oligarchs that are living in Qatar and Turkey right now, high on the hog. But, you know, the fact that your people are starving is not my fault, right? Here in Oklahoma, I've got my own problems to deal with. Well, why can't we just turn the spigot off? Well, um, we we would in the fact if we were to go out in an all out war were to were to start uh we would i i would i would caution and i first of all i don't think we should be funding governments that aren't friendly to the united states anyways you never can buy right. your friends i mean we all know that however uh it's been the um, it, it's been the, I wouldn't say tradition, it's been the history of the United States to do this for our interest. For instance, the reason why we send money to Pakistan is right now that's really the only place we can operate out of. And so there's a, I look away, you look away, but yet we still had this place to operate out of. That's next door to a country that we should still have Bagram. If we would have Bagram, we wouldn't have needed them. But since the Biden administration gave up Bagram Air Force Base, we now have to operate out of someplace. Um, and so we do it underneath humanitarian aid. USA aid is, de de is technically where it comes from. Some of these other countries the same way. Right now, if we were to pull all that back, immediately what happened with China would backfill us. And, and then that would even cause a bigger issue. Now, if a war were to come in, they would be more bolden to probably do that, knowing we'd pull back the funding because China would be back over here saying, we're going to backfill you with yen uh, currency rather than dollar currency. And, um, and I, I, it's, tip, it's not typical. It's very tricky on how we have to move forward here. But when, this when the dust all settles and we really start finding out where the intel reports are at, we start finding all the, the roads that were connected here to Hamas be able to pull this off and all those actors that was involved in it. I think you're going to start seeing a, a reshuffle on how we use our, 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 our foreign dollars. Okay, that would certainly be a good thing. And I think everybody's on the same page here, Mark Wayne, that everybody wants and everybody that's a praying person is praying for peace in the Middle East. But as of right now, the only way that we get peace in the Middle East is if Hamas is annihilated. That's the only way because we well, sent our warnings to everybody else. But that's that, that has to happen. That, that's not act. That's not one hundred percent accurate. You, you can cut off uh, the tail of a snake and it still lives. You got to cut the head of the snake off, and the head of the snake is wrong. Uh, so you can totally annihilate Hamas. Hamas is is an actor that's a, that's the size of 
of a single garden snake uh, when there's a, a, a pit of vipers it, it, over in the corner. It, you, Hamas is just a, a, a point of convenience for Iran. Iran is the head of the snake. And if you're going to eliminate um, the, 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 those that are sponsoring the, the, the world on terror right now, uh, it's not even questionable who that person is, and it's Iran. Okay, so yeah, I'll t- I'll accept that, of course. But what the hell do you do with Iran? Because obviously, we saw the people in Tehran. They're there in their their government facility as these attacks are taking place, and they're chanting "Death to America, Death to Israel, Kill the Jews." And you know, again, a lot's been made about this, and rightfully so. That two mm-hmm. weeks before this attack, the Biden administration releases six million dollars in supposed aid funds that was going to be handled by Qatar, which I don't think we can fully trust, but that's just my opinion. But we allow them to control this aid funding. Everybody knows that money is fungible, and so it's like, well, yeah, hey, don't use this money to kill Jews. It's like, okay, we won't use that money to kill Jews. We'll just have saved this amount of money to where we can use our own funds to kill Jews. But how in the world do you deal with the Iran problem while at the same time understanding that they hate Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia was close to establishing, you know, ties with Israel or at least, you know, normalizing relations with Israel that people don't fully understand the Sunni Shia, you know, Muslim uh, divide. They don't really understand all that. Like I I'm absolutely at a loss with how in the world you deal with the head of the snake. You you know, um, you had to go through the the economic side of it. You don't want to invade Iran. I I really will say that because then what happens? So we topple Iran. We saw underneath the Biden and, and uh, Obama, Biden and Hillary Clinton time when they had the, the spring offense and they were toppling all these world leaders in the Middle East, how well that's worked out. Right. It's, it had been completely, I mean, complete disaster. So if you went into Iran, do we really want to take that responsibility on? I'd say no. But what you can do is you can do the same thing that Trump did is you isolate them. You squeeze them. You make them, it, you, you destroy their economy. Um, when the Biden administration came in, they released a lot of the sanctions that was put on them and uh, and wasn't allowing them to trade oil on open markets. Uh, they were having to trade them on black markets, which means that they were selling it way below what crude cost was. Um, as of this year alone, they've already sold $800 billion worth of oil on the open market. They're selling it for, uh, in some cases, actually above uh, crude prices. And uh, and then they have the, the sanctions that was put on them for trade with food, with supplies going in and out of the country, uh, w- with with materials such as uh, material being sold to uh, Russia right now for the war on Ukraine. We can isolate uh, isolate them almost completely to where they only have goat trails and donkey trails to be able to get products in and out of their their country. And, and then you allow the people decide if that's the regime they want to keep in place. Uh, it was, if you remember during the Trump administration, the, the people were getting very restless in Iran. Right. Uh, they, were, they were rioting. They were standing up against them. Uh, even when Biden came in, they started standing up still yet. Uh, and then as the country became um, a little more wealthy, they were able to buy people off and uh, the world kind of turned a blind eye to it. So the, you're going to have to squeeze them into submission. 
Okay. Yeah, I like that. And uh, that gives me better ideas as to what we can potentially do there. Uh, before we get you out of here, I got to ask you about this story. And I, we talked a little bit about it last time. I hate this story. I think this story is so stupid. But this, the House doesn't have a speaker right now because yeah. Matt Gates decided to run in there with her grenade. And he is exactly what the Joker described in The Dark Knight. He's a dog that finally catches the car, but then he doesn't know what to do with it once he's actually gotten it. Right. And yeah. so they get Kevin McCarthy out of office. Great. But then they have no freaking plan from there. Then you have Steve Scalise who kind of wins this, you know, behind closed door straw poll. He comes up, realizes that he's not going to be able to get the votes. He takes himself out of the running. Now you have Representative Jim Jordan that as of right now, this morning, you know, he's thinking that he's going to get the votes to be able to become the Speaker of the House. There's some people thinking that the Democrats and the Republicans are just going to come to some agreement to keep what the, the pro temper or whatever, like in place right now. And basically uh, he has no power, but he's just going to be like, I don't know, figurehead until they can get this whole thing figured out so that we can work with Israel and blah, blah, blah. This feels like the biggest unforced error for Republicans right now because the Democrats look so bad, Biden looks so weak, and here we are talking about Republicans that just can't get along and play nice. These people that are rhino hunting, I don't understand these people, these prominent conservative commentators coming out. Yeah, get all these rhinos out of there, and if you don't like the people we're for, then get out. It's like, great, that's step one. What about step two, guys? So what's your read of this situation? Well, first of all, that's a lot to unpack there, Kyle. So let's yeah. let's hit the rhino part of it first. Yeah. Uh, these 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 individuals, they go out and they accuse to be rhinos first. They represent districts that uh, Matt Gates could never be able to get elected in. Sure. Uh, they represent districts that I couldn't get elected in, right? <laughs> so um, I would rather have a Republican that will vote with me 80% of the time than a Democrat that's going to vote with me, a vote away from me 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. So you have to make that decisions. We Oklahoma is unique, but a, a Democrat in New York faces a different challenge uh, as the same thing than, than a Republican from New York does. Um, and, a, and a Republican from California is going to face a different constituent base than Tom Cole does in Oklahoma City or Stephanie Bice does in Oklahoma City. Uh, so you, you got to understand that the ones that we like to call rhinos, a lot of times they're the majority makers. They're the ones that, that keep the gavel out of Nancy Pelosi's hands um, or takes the gavel away from Chuck Schumer. So you, you got to figure out what you want there. You talk about somebody like Matt Gates. Matt Gates isn't a Republican. Matt Gates isn't about principle. Matt Gates isn't about policy. Matt Gates is about self-promotion. It's about himself. And the same thing with Tim Burchett, the same thing with Ken Buck, the same thing with Bob Good, um, Andy Biggs. You know, I can name all eight of them. And these are individuals, they were they literally worked with 208 Democrats to oust the Republican speaker with no contingency plans. Yep. They just they did it because they wanted to be on CNN. That was it. They just wanted an opportunity to have fame. And and I say up here all the time, people hurt you a lot to gain themselves a little. But since this has taken place, what have we missed? What's the opportunities? Because of this, this rogue group of eight Republicans working with 208 Democrats to oust the Republican speaker for the first time a speaker has ever been ousted in history. Um, what happened? Well, we had Hamas attack Israel. Um, we've allowed ourselves, the Republicans, to be irrelevant in the conversation because Speaker McCarthy was the only Republican voice we had out there, completely irrelevant. You've seen Joe Biden's number now jump by 4% 
um, because they seem to be strong on Israel and Republican is, is being quiet on it. Uh, you've, seen the, you've seen AOC and the squad, Tlaib, Omar, Bennett. Uh, you see these individuals go out there and side with, um, with uh, the Hamas and we should have been immediately taking a, 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 um, a, a, a resolution to the floor to censor them. Right. And we didn't. And we would have put the Democrats in a very tough position. Do they censor their own or do they do they vote with the Democrats? Typically, they vote together and they would have had to probably a lot of them would have voted to not censor. But instead, you allowed the White House to come out and condemn them. Once again, lost a huge opportunity that we may not recover from, and we still don't have a speaker as we speak. Although today, I do believe Kyle that Jim Jordan will will get um, will get the votes. He's going to go to the floor without the votes uh, right now. He'll his, the first vote. He may have to go two or three. He may get it on the first one. As of right now, he's about uh, ten away. From getting there, I talked to him this morning, talked to him last night, talked to him yesterday, um, and uh, he feels confident he's going to get there. I've been talk, talking to his whip team; they feel very confident they're going to get there. So, I would be real surprised uh, by the end of the day if we don't have a Republican speaker in place. But, but we've already missed the opportunity. I mean, you can't. It's really hard to go back now and censor the squad. Um, and and it's really hard now to get in front of the Biden administration on this. We've lost golden opportunities here. Golden opportunities and momentum. The toothpaste is out of the tube. And again, guys, we're recording this on Tuesday, the morning of Tuesday, October the 17th. So by the time you hear this, hopefully this will be resolved. And I would be thrilled if Jim Jordan gets in. I think he would be a fantastic right. speaker. Uh, the one, one last question before you go. The reason why McCarthy was able to be ousted so easily was because in order to gain the speakership, he did some sort of deal with whatever they call themselves, the Freedom Caucus, the Dork Squad, whatever they call themselves. But like, is that going to be something that is not going to be part of this? Because I don't want us to be a few months down the road, these, you know, handful of idiots don't like what Jim Jordan's saying or doing. And then they just oust him like they did McCarthy. Well, so what you're referring to is the motion to vacate. Right. It's a rule right. that's been put in place for decades and decades and decades. Uh, where any member of, uh, of, the, of the majority party, actually any member of the House, period, but usually it comes from majority party, could, uh, could put out a, a motion to vacate. Um, and enforce a vote on the speaker. What what happened when Pelosi got in place? She changed the rule to where it had to be the majority of the majority to be able to do that. Because remember, she just barely made the vote to begin with, and so she changed the House rule that the majority of the majority had to put out the motion to vacate uh, before is able to to come to the floor as a resolution. The um, it, McCarthy was going to leave it in place. Uh, the Freedom Caucus, specifically Matt Gates, said no. Then, because this was his plan all along, then they he said, okay, then let's do let's do thirty percent of the caucus, let's do twenty percent of the caucus, um, let's have five members. It takes five mer members. It takes eight members. Matt Gates was persistent on saying one. He wants to take it back to one. And and by the way, Lauren Boebert was there too. Lauren Boebert did not vote to to, to vacate the chair. By the way. Uh, but she, but he was like, we want one in there because this was his Matt Gates's way to get back to fame, to, to throw a punch or to just state the facts, whichever way you want to interpret it. 
Matt Gates was a very popular member when he first came to, to Congress because he's got a silver tongue. The guy can speak well and and uh, and he, he's he's he can articulate very obviously a lot better than I can. The problem was is that he was about ready to sign a deal with Newsmax to be a, a host for them, and he was going to leave Congress. I know this because he personally told me this. But he he got accused of sleeping with an underage girl and went through all the investigation for it. And the news media wouldn't touch him. He became very irrelevant. Mm -hmm. No one would touch him. You didn't see him on Fox. You didn't see him on News Nation. You didn't see him on Newsmax. You didn't see him anywhere uh, until November when he started opposing Speaker McCarthy as a speaker. And then he, he he rode that horse as far as he can ride it. And now he's now soon when Jim Jordan becomes in office, we'll see if Matt Gates still stays relevant. I don't believe he will, though. I just got to tell you, Mark Wayne, everything seems really stupid, but I'm really appreciative that you come on here to talk about all the stupid things. But hey, next time. Wear something no, different. And, OK, this is my. No, 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 no. This, we're twinning. And just remember, you're Danny DeVito. I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just keep that in mind. I never agreed to that whatsoever. What are you talking about? Okay. We are roughly the same size. Okay. I'm not going to make you show me the guns unless you wanted to right now, because I'm, I'm ready to take everyone to the gun show. If you need to, is that a long I'll sleeve let's... V-neck? No, it's short sleeve. Let's see him. Let's see him. Mark Wayne. Let's see. Ooh! Guys, if you're not watching this on YouTube or rumble right now, you are massively missing out. Mark Wayne. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you next month. All right. See you brother. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Facedown Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>